G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, being a Christian is a lifelong pursuit. Coming to Christ, praying a sinner's prayer, it's not set and forget. Being transformed to be a follower of Christ is part of a lifelong journey. Our conversation today is about what happens in the renovation of a life. While we might see ourselves as works in progress, uh, we should be should we be settling for a sort of a half-baked Christianity. So how do those scriptural truths that we understand empower God's people to live successfully? Well, our guest today tells his story of overcoming drug addiction, trauma and abuse. So how does the truth of God give you the power to overcome the world? Our special guest this morning, author and preacher Mark Johnston. He is Director of Transformation Ministries based on the Gold Coast in Queensland. He writes about these sorts of things we're talking about today in his new book called Renovation, all about kingdom transformation. Mark's first book was called Marked by Mercy, and both of these books available in the Vision Store at vision.org.au. A special welcome along to 2020 to you, Mark Johnston. Good morning, Neil. Good to be here. Mark, we were just talking only a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, wow, we've got to have Mark on for a opportunity where listeners can call and interact. Your story is a powerful story, and this application of Bible truth, God's truth to a life, is something that I think listeners will really warm to and appreciate when they hear your story. Perhaps it's a good thing to come back to some early days and tell something of your story because we'll talk about your books as we go through the conversation, but but give us a little bit of an insight into what was happening in your life in those early years before you knew Christ. Well, I didn't really have a secure family home, so there was a lot of alcohol, drugs, criminals, drug dealers, and I grew up just sort of going from place to place, family to family, and obviously, because of that lifestyle, I just naturally progressed into drug addiction myself. Um, as you can imagine, things got way out of hand. Uh, by the age of 19, I was in seven drug-induced comas. Uh, I was screaming out, hearing voices on the street, uh, talking to people that weren't there, uh, just sexual, mental, verbal, physical abuse. And, um, yeah, I was going crazy. And, you know... Uh, as difficult as it seems, there's an awful lot of people who are in the same boat. Uh, a lot of people going through the same things that you went through. A lot of families so dysfunctional that the challenges almost seem unbelievable. And for uh, older Australians, uh, these things weren't so prevalent when they were young and they didn't see these things in their community. But this is more and more prevalent. And of course, uh, these days you live on the Gold Coast and the Gold Coast is a party lifestyle. And a lot of this stuff is pretty common around where you live. Yeah, it is. Um, the crime and uh, the drug trafficking is has multiplied even since I've been a kid. 
it's getting way out of hand. Um, a lot of children are taking drugs at a younger age. I mean, my my cousin was smoking, you know, marijuana at the table at nine years old. But these days, you've got kids smoking ice from anything from the age of 10 up. It's just absolutely crazy. And I know that some listeners will identify with this. And this is not just a problem in the city or in the party city uh, that you live in on the Gold Coast, uh, but in country towns around Australia too. The drug epidemic is out of control. People are challenged. Uh, they're seeing their children caught up in things, uh, a matter of whose relationships uh, your children are, uh, are forming, uh, because sometimes you can very easily fall in with the wrong crowd. The wrong crowd is a part of the way that people are led astray, isn't it? Yeah, look, hands down, 110%. Um, it's all about association. And as far as like the, the outback of Australia, uh, outside of the city, you know, there's a lot of trafficking that goes on in the city, uh, they manufacture it and then distribute it. But as far as addiction, I would say uh, the outback of Australia is probably worse than the cities as far as addiction. Well, because there's perhaps not enough uh, help and support and uh, there's a lot of time on your hands and you can get into trouble. Uh, let's take a little detour before we get into talking about some of these things to do with the renovated life because uh, your story is going to be similar to to some. Uh, but let's talk about this sort of detour into uh, having time on your hands. There's an old saying, isn't there? The devil makes work for idle hands. And if you are not, in fact, engaged in something which is a worthwhile, purposeful, truth, righteous pursuit, somehow or other you can get distracted and on a detour onto perhaps what we might even think of as, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the broad highway. There's a narrow path and there's a broad highway, a broad highway that leads to destruction. What are your thoughts for people who might be thinking of, uh, you know, uh, the, the sorts of uh, difficulties that you might have in in pursuing a righteous path because of distractions and time on your hands. Yeah, well, that's, that's what Lester Summerall said as well. He said, an inactive mind is the workshop of the devil. And A.L. Bernard said that a man without a vision will always return to his past. So for me, distractions are only there and they become more evident when a person doesn't know where they're going or what they're here for. So for me, how I overcome addiction is because God gave me a vision for my future and he gave me a blueprint of what he wanted me to be and do. So a lot of these rural uh, outback cities and towns, and even in the cities themselves, um, there's, where there's high unemployment and where there's um, not much to do as far as in the, in, in the time frame through the day and they've got no purpose, I find that they slipstream straight into it and it's much easier to be susceptible to it. Well, I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation today. And listeners, perhaps if you're in a regional country area or if you're calling from the big cities around Australia, uh, be a part of our conversation. Uh, let us in on some of your insights as to what might be happening in communities. We are going to be talking about renovation because the idea of renovation means that the old things are going to be not looking the same as they used to. Well, 1-800-316-316 and our talkback line is open. Let me ask you, Mark, uh, sometimes when people do renovation or think about renovation, we're thinking about what we did in our house or our unit and, uh, and you know, bringing a 
transformation, a freshening of things up. Uh, what are your thoughts with the title of your new book, Renovation? Uh, is there a sort of a, a correlation to this idea of when you renovate a house? Yeah, there is. And I think for the believer in Christ, we always have to come back to the fact that we are the temple of God. You know, God actually lives in us by his spirit. And even though in the Old Testament the temple was a place of worship where they sacrificed and they went into the glory of God um, with the Ark of the Covenant, now we are that temple. So really we are the house of God. Uh, God lives in us by his spirit. And so renovation is definitely uh, the same as renovating a house because when you walk into an old house and there's dirty, rotten carpet with smoke uh, butts on the floor or stains from coffee, or alcohol from our past, our experiences, we're going to have to rip up that old carpet. And let me say something, just like it's hard work when you renovate a house, because my brother's done too, um, it's, it's hard work sometimes as a believer. It's not easy to allow God to take these things out of our life. But when we're willing to work with him, he rips up the old carpet, Another thing that I see in a lot of older houses is they've got like wallpaper. These days it's hardly non-existent. But you go into a house that's got wallpaper, it's got old blinds, it's got old furniture, it's got old chairs, and there's almost like a, a smell to it. And it's not the smell of Christ. It's not the aroma of Christ. It's a different aroma. <laughs> and, yeah, so, yeah, 100% it, there's definitely um, uh, they're definitely the same as far as uh, in the physical and the spiritual. Well, you're introducing a whole lot of concepts here. I think some people can have uh, some fun with even uh, discussing the whole idea of having the smell of Christ. Uh, you know, <laughs> what is that deodorant you're wearing? It's like uh, and sometimes people might be thinking about, you know, masking the smell of their worldliness by trying to have a image of somehow rather purity and perfection. And there's that whole image, isn't there, of the person who warms the pew on a Sunday and uh, on Monday it's just a complete opposite, a worldliness. And I'm not saying that that's going to be happening to everyone, but there is a certain sense in which that person certainly is the sort of person who might like to participate in a renovation that might come from God. Uh, what are your thoughts on this sort of half-hearted idea that sometimes we have as Christian believers? Uh, somehow or other we came to faith, said a sinner's prayer, and then perhaps we successfully avoided or nobody took us under their wing and there was no discipleship and somehow or other we missed out on this whole opportunity to be transformed and renewed. Yeah, well, for me, I think of the children of Israel straight away. Now, it says in the Old Testament that they knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. And there is a huge difference. So if people are living just by miracles, signs and wonders and healings, and that's all they do and go from speaker to speaker, place to place and never getting planted and flourishing, they will end up following the acts of God. And then when God doesn't rock up and do what they want him to do, they're going to start whinging, complaining, murmuring, going around in circles and then blaming leaders. But we need to be like Moses. We need to have a face-to-face -face relationship. And so when it says in the New Testament we're being justified by faith that we have peace with God, that word peace means we have a face-to-face -face connection. Now, no one's ever seen the face of God and lived. We, we understand that. But it's saying that we have that connection where we can talk to him directly. I think... It's based purely on relationship because the Pharisees, you know, they clean the outside. 
but the the inside was dirty. He even said dead men's bones, you know, on, even on the graveyard. It's nice and fancified on the outside, but on the inside it's, it's a stench and it stinks. So I think Christianity is an, isn't an outward form. It's not about the formalities. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we want to take as many calls as we can through this hour. You might like to participate. 1-800-316-316. We're talking about a renovated life. Mark's new book is called Renovation. And our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Mark, let's take a call. Let's hear from Claire in Moree in New South Wales. Hello, Claire. Welcome along. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts, Claire? Um, So, Mark, I heard you mention, um, so Moree's a rural town, um, about five hours inland of the Queensland, New South Wales border. So... Um, Mark, I heard you mention before about how it is does seem to be more prevalent the drug use in um, the rural towns, and I mean I can't comment for the cities at the moment. Like I, I used to live in the cities, but I don't anymore. But in more in the last two years particularly, we've seen a real rise in drug use, and um, and it's been quite distressing to the town because we've been seeing a um, increase uh, in crime as well because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I concur with what you said, basically. <laughs> yeah, we see that here. You've got a prevalence of drug use, Claire, mm. and that leads to a rise in crime. Uh, let's get yeah. a thought, Mark, for, for Claire. What would your, your thoughts be for her? Well, I think, especially come from Maureen, um, we've always got to take it back to a community. See, when we see our town as our family, we yeah. see them as an opportunity for Christ to be in their life. Um I think it's about banding together. I think also, too, it's about the skill set. Um, a lot of Christians, they base everything just on the Bible, but there's no practicality or life skills for people that have highly dysfunctional backgrounds. So I say it's all about education. And it's not just about education in the system. It's, it's about like drug ed- education. It's about actually educating these young ones and um, discipling them because they're not the type to be left alone for too long. I know because I've been from a bush town. Will you leave me alone for one day or you leave me alone for two days? I'm gone for the probably the next six months until I want to change again. Claire, while I've got you on the phone and you're clearly part of a church there in Moree, are you? Yes, I am part of All Saints Anglican Church. Great, and as I hear Mark reflecting on this idea of the church perhaps needing to be better prepared uh, for those who've come from a more dysfunctional background than we might think is the norm, uh, is there something that you can reflect on in your church or even in broader numbers of churches in your own town uh, where churches are preparing people for dealing with this extra area of dysfunction? Well, there's a couple of thoughts I have on that. First of all, in Maury, I believe that we, even though there's a number of churches here, there's about 10 different churches here in town, but I really feel that we're all, we tend to be one big church family. So even though we might um, uh, socialize, oh, sorry, um, worship at different churches, we tend to be one big church family and we'll often go to the same events and things like that, which is a really lovely thing that I like about Moray. So we're a town of about 10,000 people. So, um, But in saying that, in this, the last two years, I have noticed that the Christians are stepping up more because that's what happens as, as, as the world starts to disintegrate around us, that the Christians have to step up more. And, and I'm noticing, for example, we have a prayer group that 
two years ago had two people in it. And now we have the prayer group, you know, can go between six and ten people. So just even those sort of things, and that's praying specifically for our town. And so even just things like that, um, some of us work in the industry. There's a number of us Christians that work in the industry, but um, gradually others are starting to become more aware. Although we don't have formal programs educating the church on um, how to deal with these people, I think, uh, who have these issues in their life, I think as a town we're learning, and as a Christian church we're learning. And so just by the exposure that we have here, we're learning what to do. And so, yeah. And Claire, I'm excited you're able to articulate the needs in your community. And you know what? Uh, Just recognising those needs is going to be a big start. And for someone like you who can articulate what the problem is and then identify that, hey, the churches are together, there's a good... Uh, a good probability that your churches in Moree are going to be able to look out for some of these deeper issues, perhaps more than other churches who are doing their own thing in isolation. Uh, your thought, just a final little recap on uh, some of those thoughts that you might have for Claire? Yeah, as I said, you know, like education is the key. And, you know, in a lot of like NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous and AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, um, a lot of these people... 75% of them have a spiritual awareness and they say that the success of their recovery is due to the fact that they have life principles and they incorporate the spiritual element into it. And I think, you know, if you speak a language that's different from the language that they, that they understand, you're always going to be hit and miss. But if you speak their language and be all things to all men, you will win some to Christ and you will you will show them Christ on a whole deeper level so that they can turn away from the recovery lifestyle, continue on with their recovery, but that's where you can then grab them and disciple them into Christ. So that's the key. You know, if you want some good material, may I suggest um, it's called Living Wisdom. It's by David Riddell. He's in New Zealand. He does courses and he does different things when it comes to education about uh, broken and um, dysfunctional people. That's a really good tool. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Talking about a renovated life, our guest, his new book is called Renovation, all about kingdom transformation. Mark Johnston is with us. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Emmanuel in Perth in WA. Hello, Emmanuel. Welcome along. Hello. How are you going? Yeah, um, I had the opportunity to volunteer with an organisation over here in Perth called Street Chaplains, and um I think that any Christian during their lifetime, if they can get a chance to volunteer for someone like that, to help out, what we used to do is uh, provide first aid and water to people in the pubs and the clubs in the Northbridge area, in, um, which is all the nightclub area in Perth, and um, provide first aid and, and assistance and water and just the listing here. Emmanuel, that's a real eye-opener, isn't it, for people who volunteer with a chaplaincy service, uh, exposed to all sorts of things that ordinary people who don't get involved in those things never see and never know that are actually going on. Your thoughts for Emmanuel, Mark? Yeah, well, my thoughts in general is, Emmanuel, you know, Jesus wasn't a drug addict, and I think that's really what you're saying. It's about the hands and feet and the heartbeat of Christ. It's stepping out and stepping into the worlds of these people in the in the small ways and in the big ways. Um you know, I think that's where we've actually disempowered ourselves as believers with that, oh, if we're not drug addicts or we don't go to the nightclubs, well, who are we? We can't help these people. But it's not true. What Emmanuel is saying is it doesn't take much for us to step out of our comfort zone, 
our little world and actually step into the world of the supernatural where Christ can actually display his love through people. So, you know, thumbs up to you, Emmanuel. Well done. Congratulations. Emmanuel, thanks so much for your call today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join our conversation. We are talking about renovation, what happens in a life. Let me ask you, Mark, when we talk about renovation, the person who's going through all of this uh, issue with drug abuse or uh, all sorts of uh, other areas that we talked about just early in our conversation, when they're talking to someone who has been through what they're going through. How powerful is that for a testimony of a transformed life to someone who is, uh, you know, caught up in the the nightclub scene, uh, involved in uh, drugs and uh, all sorts of pursuits of a worldly lifestyle? Uh, what's so important about this Christian testimony? Well, I think, you know, people are looking for satisfaction deep down. They're looking for the source of life, but unfortunately they find it in the resources of life. Now, as a believer, Christ is the source. He is the solution to every problem on the face of the planet. And you may say, well, how is that? Well, the thing is, when we go to the world, we're actually filling ourselves with and altering our mind, our emotions. Um, We're even changing our relationships based on how we feel and the experiences we have. So I find that Christ has been misrepresented as though he is just a religious figure that's up on the cross. You go to church because it's good to go to church. That's where good people go. And it's actually misrepresenting his power, his glory, his um, his manifestations that he reveals himself in people's lives in such a profound, powerful way. So for me, I think that it's, once again, it's all about relationship and knowing that God can rock up any time he wants and do something absolutely amazing in your life. And that has been my testimony. When I least expected it, he actually showed himself to me in such powerful ways. And what changed me was the truth. When I had that encounter out of Psalms chapter 72, verse 14, and he spoke to me face to face from the Bible, I knew that this wasn't just a book. And I knew that it wasn't just about church. It was about Christ, and it was about the resurrection of his power. It was about his glory. And I think if you can spark that hunger inside of people, man, we're going to see this world turned upside down for radical believers that say, I don't want nothing of this world. I want everything of Christ. I think if we're all honest, we can identify some part of our own lives uh, and we can say, this is something not quite in alignment uh, with what I hear preached at church. Uh, Some things are radically different to what I hear preached at church. We might call some of these difficult to overcome circumstances strongholds. Now, the Bible does use that word, strongholds. How do you understand that word, Mark? What is a stronghold in someone's life? Well, in history, we know that a stronghold, a fortress, a citadel was a place of protection. People would run to it and not hide and be protected from the enemy. Now, this word stronghold, so metaphorically, it's in our thinking. It's, um, it's something that's a pattern, a mode of thought that we can't get out of. We naturally go there. As much as we say, God, can you change me? We automatically by default, keep going there as well. And so for me, when I found out that stronghold literally means, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, it actually means prison. And I, I sort of thought, okay, if it's a prison, where is that prison? And so I actually found, I think it's in Psalms chapter 142, verse 7, bring my soul out of prison 
that I may praise you. So for me, a stronghold is in your soul. It's a mode of thinking. It's a mental pattern. And it gridlocks you into thinking God can't change you and God can't come through for you when you're bound in your emotional state. Okay, call us on 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation. Let's name some strongholds. Uh, What comes to mind for you? And uh, you can share some of your own testimony here, Mark. Uh, The sorts of strongholds that when you came to Christ and you realized that this was something special, this relationship, it wasn't just about, as you said, not just about Jesus on the cross, but this is the power to transform a life. What sort of strongholds uh, did you have to face and did you have to have removed, renovated? Even we'll talk about being demolished in a few moments, but uh, what, what sort of strongholds can we name? I'll tell you, one of the biggest strongholds I had, and it was probably even worse than addiction, believe it or not, was anger. I was a ferocious person. I, at the drop of a hat, I was explosive. So anger for me, I don't, rem- I, seriously, I prayed that many times for God to set me free from anger to the point I, I lost hope because every time I'd get in conflict or have arguments or disagreements, I would explode because I didn't know what else to do. The other one that was crippling for me, and I think it's crippling anyone um, that you know has suffered shame in the past, um, it was it was debilitating. Shame wrecks people. And if we can't start identifying shame in our world and realize that God's forgiven us of that shame, we will continually and habitually live under that cloud until we get educated on it and let God set us free from it. So, so when we talk things like addictions, uh, that's a stronghold too, no doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. But but what actually causes the physical addiction may actually be a mental, spiritual, emotional, uh, challenging sort of prison stronghold uh, that we're talking about here. And and uh, if we're finding it difficult to break the addiction, there may be something a little deeper to have God put His finger on in our lives. Other things, our thought life, whether it's, as you say, those things that that uh, kick us into an angry state, or for some people it's uh, issues of, of sexual uh, deviancy that somehow or other you, oh, you'd wish they'd go away. You'd pray they'd go away, but somehow or other they keep on recurring. These sorts of things are, are the types of things that sometimes can hold us back from a life of victory in Christ. Yeah, look, and because I was sexually abused as a kid, I had major issues with my sexuality. That was a major stronghold. Most of my failure actually was due to uh, sexuality. I just couldn't seem to hold back from the passion of having sex and and the passions of this life. I I, I was overwhelmed all the time, but I I realized something, that the less we get educated on it, the the less results we're going to get. So... The more truth we get inside of our heart and we search for the answers. See, it's not it's not good enough to put your hands up and say, well, this is just me. I'm just a human. I can't do this and just make excuses and justify it. No, God says that he purifies our soul when we obey the truth. See, obedience is the key, and it's way better than sacrifice. So you can go to church. And say, so I'll go to church for the weekend and, and I'll serve and I'll take up the offering and I'll catch people and I'll read my Bible more and I'll pray more and then God will forgive me of you know um, my sexual fantasies. But that's not the way it works. God actually works on the basis of obedience and as soon as we obey what he's saying, even though we don't feel like it, 
That's where true freedom comes. Let's take a call from Robin in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, hi. I'm so, sorry for the frequent calls, but um, this is my this is my ground. <clears throat> I can speak from personal experience. Some of those strongholds um, suggest some demonic activity, and um, that's why a lot of people cannot get free, no matter how much they try to with willpower. So they either need help with someone that can operate um, deliverance from demons, or uh, you can uh, set yourself free. But it's only it's usually when you get a revelation because I knew about demons and I used to try and cast out a demon. But if I didn't have a revelation on the identity of it or whatever, it didn't work. But I have set myself free when I knew from the Word of God, I, had, I got a revelation and I knew I could set myself free. But see, we open, we open the door to these demonic demons through vows, making vows or believing a lie. Or, or sin, um, or a, a habit, a bad habit, like you know your friends um, talking about, or the occult, definitely occult. So all of those. Robin, you are raising things. some fabulous points here. Let's bring the devil into this discussion. Uh, what role the devil here? Because as Robin's saying, uh, you know the truth can set you free, but sometimes you need to have some extra empowerment. And it may be a stronghold of the devil. Uh, your thoughts for Robin and along those lines, Mark? Yeah, well, it, it says very clearly, you know, lest Satan should deceive us because we're not ignorant of his devices. The word devices is a Greek word, noamata, and it's talking about his insidious plots. And his target and his main goal is to scramble, confuse, and overwhelm the human mind. Because the word Noamata also speaks of the mind and, and, and the intellect. So we know that the target that he's going for is the thought life. And we can know that also too because of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this age prior to meeting Christ, that's where he blinded us. That's where he ripped out our spiritual sight. I'm also reminded of Ephesians 6. And uh, it says that you know when it talks about the wiles of, of the enemy, your adversary, the devil, roams around seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Actually, it's in one Peter. Um, the word adversary is um, it's it's anti-dikos, and it means against righteousness. So there's an actual lawsuit against you, and he wants to disqualify everything that you are. So I think what Robin's saying is is that he comes with impressions, thoughts, avenues, ways. Opportunities. We know that from Ephesians four twenty seven too. That you know, don't give him a place, even though it's got to do with marriage. It can have any um, area he can come in through. You know, disobedience and welcoming the occult and all those different things out there. So yeah, totally agree. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much to Robin from Mount Morgan. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316, 1-800-316-316. Interesting, let's not move away from talking about the devil for a few moments because when you talk about strongholds, uh, when you talk about issues of the mind and thinking, uh, we're not always talking about here, like we might uh, think of the movies, of uh, someone being possessed by a devil, mm. uh, the devil or a demon. Uh, but there are all sorts of influences that come from a spiritual uh, alternative to what we understand as uh, as God, as Christ in our lives, uh, the adversary, this sort of this sort of thing, people come up against these things, and there's a temptation for people to 
undervalue, underplay what real role the devil has in their life. How do you talk to people who say, I'm not so sure there is a devil, but I've still got these strongholds I need to deal with? Well, first and foremost, you know, to believe in God, we obviously know that God is good. We know that he's light, and the opposite of light is darkness. So to say that you don't believe in the devil and yet there's strongholds, well, I've personally had experiences with spirits and demonic powers that I don't even need to justify or explain my way through that. I just know that it's real. Now, for someone that doesn't believe that the enemy is real, um, to try and break strongholds, really, they're going to be trying to battle it with their, um, their own truth instead of the truth of God's word. I mean, how can you confront something um, in truth if you don't even believe the truth itself anyway? I mean, the Bible says that the devil's real. The Bible says that he's actually active. And even in the book of Job, just like he is in the New Testament, he's roaming around to and fro. He's on the earth saying, where you been? Well, I've been searching low and high. And the thing is, he's, 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 he's thirsty and he's weary and he's parched. And he's looking for possession, and he's also looking to bind people up. So, yeah, I, I think if, if you do believe God's word and you don't believe in the devil, I'd say you don't really believe in God's word. For some people, uh, to bring the devil in is to, in some ways, uh, create some sort of uh, alternate blame uh, this is why I do things. It's all about the devil. Uh, so let's uh, let's just sort of try and set uh, a uh, an idea here, uh, because some people want to blame the devil for all the bad things they do. Uh, so it's not my fault. Uh, but actually, taking personal responsibility really is going to close the door on the devil. I, I assume. What are your thoughts, Mark? Yeah, look, hundred percent. Sorry, I'm just laughing, but. It's so true. I mean, the devil's been getting the rap for a long time with things that we've been irresponsible with. I mean, you know, if you sow to the flesh, it says you'll reap from the flesh destruction. But if you sow to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, the thing is, the flesh desires the things that whet its appetite. So when we look at the areas of the flesh, we're looking at Galatians 5, you know, when it talks about anger and witchcraft and all these different manifestations of the flesh. And the thing is, the flesh is always going to be hungry for the things of this world. Now, I know this as well as anyone else, that Jesse Duplantis says that the devil is a fleshly devil. Why? Because he works on our appetites in the flesh. Because he knows if he can get us into flesh perpetually, he can then start dominating our thought life and deceiving us into thinking that it's okay to live that way. So, look, at the end of the day, if you are not being responsible in your finances... Do not blame the devil. It is your responsibility. If you don't go to church because you're offended, it's actually not even the devil's responsibility. It's actually yours. You need to forgive. You, the devil can't forgive on your behalf. And so it says if you've got an offense, you go to your brother. It didn't say blame the devil. So we're, we're, we're easily throwing off and deflecting away from our gift to be responsible from God. And I think that's the key. You find freedom when you realize that the word of God is very clear when we need to be we need to be responsible in certain areas and stop blaming him for that. Let's come to these strongholds and in this idea of renovation 
uh, or even demolition of those old things and the restoration of something new. Because we talk about the old things have passed away, all things have become new. For some people, Mark, they are happy to be isolated from the church, isolated from other aspects of their life because they're actually happy to suffer in silence with some of the strongholds. They recognize that when they hear these things spoken about, and it might be on a conversation that we'll have on 2020, or it might be something that happens in a local church, or it could be at a, at a home group or something like that, they're suffering in silence, knowing that the stronghold needs to be dealt with, but because they're feeling isolated, they think they can mask this long enough, maybe it'll go away on its own. How do we talk about renovation in, in regards to exposing those things that need to be exposed? Well, first and foremost, when we come into the Christian journey, we expect for some reason that church and church life in Christ is going to be an easy journey because we're promised by sometimes preachers saying, once you give your heart to Christ, everything's going to be fantastic. And that is that, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, yes, you do get the you, you get brilliant um things from God and God does brilliant things in your life. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we realize that trials are compulsory and Jesus said you will have troubles and we will suffer persecution for our faith, I think if we can resolve that, we will find it so much easier to get offended in church. We'll find it so much easier to know that people are people, God is God, and not everyone listens to God. And the question more so is, what are we doing in the situation? Are we listening to the voice of God or are we going to listen to the voice of the world and how they deal with situations? So I think, um, you know, the Bible is very clear. Be planted in the house of God. That's where we flourish. Isolation is the number one killer for the Christian faith. And it keeps people bound. It keeps them in offense. It keeps them away from the call and the gift and the destiny and the purpose of God on their life. And then they get frustrated and offended at God as saying, well, why aren't you doing something in my life? And how come this hasn't happened yet? And God's saying, well, it's not purely based on your gift. Yeah, your gift makes room for you. But if it's not in the body, like the arm can't be separate from the body and say, you know, use me, Lord. The arm has to be attached to the body. And we need to work through these issues and do it in the biblical model and you watch the blessing and the favour and the overflow of God happen in their life. Now, interestingly, once we start delving into the strongholds, putting our finger on various things that might be uh, common or even unique to some, uh, we instantly come to, well, if I'm going to deal with these strongholds, uh, change is coming, transformation, but what is this changed life supposed to look like? And when I think of this, I think the changed life looks like this. It looks like Jesus. This, Mark, would be one of the keys in overcoming or having a transformed life, undergoing renovation, undergoing that old things are passed away, all things become new. What are we supposed to look like? We're supposed to look like Jesus. That's right, and I'm reminded of the book of James where it says a man looks into the mirror and immediately he walks away and forgets what he looks like. See, we look like Christ when we see the reflection of it in the Word of God. And so when the parable of the sower, Jesus went out and sowed the seed. I've, I've heard people preach that as a, as a giving message. <laughs> you know, he went out to sow the seed and some fell on the wayside, some fell on the rocky, some fell on the weeds. 
And then some fell on 30, 60, 100 fold. Maybe you might be the lucky person that gets the 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, it's not speaking of money here. It's actually speaking of God wanting to form his image in you by the word of God in its fullness. That's in its context what it's saying. So until we actually let the word of God have its way in our life and be the final authority as far as a guideline and an instructional tool to help us be sound and whole and fixed and transformed, we won't see these long-lasting um, things in our life. We, it's, it's impossible if we don't let the Word of God be the canon, let it be the guide to our life. So the way we become conformed to the image of Christ is by exposing ourselves to him uh, to letting his light shine into the dark places in our lives, to allowing his power to be the thing that overcomes the strongholds, uh, because we can try and do that in our own strength. In fact, uh, our secular society uh, will try and tell us how to do things in our own strength. Uh, we'd recognize as Christians that that isn't a possibility. If you want to be conformed to the image of Christ, uh, secularism doesn't have the answers to us. It won't have the power to overcome these attitudes, this sinfulness of our own human nature. We're back with uh, some more in just a few moments. Still time for a call or two on 1-800-316-316. We are talking about renovation. That's the title of Mark's new book, Renovation, all about kingdom transformation. Mark, Mark is Director of Transformation Ministries. He's based on the Gold Coast, has an incredible testimony, tells his testimony in his first book called Marked by Mercy. And you can get a hold of both of these books, Marked by Mercy, available now, and uh, the new book called Renovation, available for you to put on order, but it's very, very soon available. We're back with more in just a few moments. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking through issues of a renovated life. Our guest has written a book called Renovation. We're discussing some of those things he's written about. His first book is called Marked by Mercy. We're talking renovation. When we talk this uh, issue of renovation and uh, the idea of demolition here, Mark, uh, pulling down strongholds, uh, getting those things out of the way, having a transformed life, let me come back to how you might do that, because we talked about being conformed to the image of Christ. This is where the Bible comes into the picture. This is where God's word to humanity becomes an important element. How do you describe the value that people ought to be pursuing in the word of God? Yeah, well, you know, Jesus said, if you're really my disciple, you'll know the truth. Now, disciple means discipline one. It means a student. And that's where we get to know the truth, and then the truth will set us free. See, the full soul loathes the honeycomb. The thing is, if you're full of self and full of everything but God and his word, like Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's where you'll bear much fruit and fruit that remains. So the value of the word of God, um, I think the modern church, like, it's still doing a great job, but I think we're steering away from the foundation, the actual bedrock of what Christianity is about. Um, so, so when I look at the Word of God and its value, for me, you know, when, for, for someone that's stuck in, in a rut and they're stuck in life, I, th I see there's so many answers and solutions to people's problems. Like Psalms 119, 105 says, the words are lamp to our feet. 
It actually lights up. It gives us light when we're currently feeling like we're in the dark. And it actually is a light to our path. And even Job said that he desired the word of God more than his necessary food. David said that he loved the word of God more than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. I mean, so for me, I look at the word of God as something that is invaluable. It, it is, it is, we are spiritual billionaires. We have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And for me, I think the word of God definitely is the key indicator if we want to see true freedom. So um, there's so many scriptures that I see, like even when I look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, it says, the, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. And I think, you know, we're not actually seeing God move as much as we'd like to see him move because we're not even declaring the the word of God. That's why Timothy says, you know, preach the word of God. It didn't say preach about your church. It says preach the word of God. Be ready ready in and out of season to testify. And so when we get back to the foundation of what it's all about, and I was even talking to you earlier about how, you know, Jesus talked about the person that builds their life on the sand, which humanity, you know, sand is speaking of humanity and the things of this life. It says when the waves and the storms and the, the, the things of life come crashing in, the house comes down with a great crash. But those who build their life on the bedrock. Now, to a Hebraic person, the bedrock was not speaking about sandstone. It wasn't speaking about, you know, a foundation of concrete. It's speaking literally of the word of God being the foundation of our life. And if we have it as the foundation, doesn't matter what hits us, We'll be obedient to that, not our circumstances or our feelings. We're going to take one more quick call. Let's hear from Ray in Middleton in South Australia. Hello, Ray. Welcome along. How are we going? Ray, very good. Very quickly, uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Well, that's you. I'm an evangelist, and I've had to do deliverance ministry over many, over many years. And uh, if you look at Scripture, it says, Beware of the devil's devices. Now, if you speak to most Christians and ask them questions, they wouldn't have a clue what the devil's devices were. That's good thoughts, Ray. What are the devil's devices? Uh, let's. We're running out of time, but Mark, a quick response for Ray. Well, the devices, as I said before, it's the Noel Martyr, it's his insidious plots, and it's to steer us away from truth. I mean, you know, in the latter days, the Spirit expressly says in Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1, I think it is, expressly says in the latter days that some will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And the thing is, you know, we've got so many different religions and faiths out there right now that if we don't base our life upon the truth, we're going to be just giving in to just any whim or any story or any experience out there. And I think that's what uh, Ray's saying, that, you know, his devices are... Anything that steers you away from who God is as a person, because the Bible says he's good and he does good. That's why Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see and know that the Lord is good. So anything that takes you away from his goodness and the fear of the Lord and the truth and the canon of, the, of his word, uh, anything outside of that, um, we can discount it and disapprove it and not give it any authority in our life. Yeah. Well, Ray from Middleton in South Australia and operating as an evangelist. Uh, Ray, honour to you. Keep up the great work and uh, for just raising with us today uh, the devices of the devil. We have run out of time. I want to point people to get a hold of Mark's book. 
And it's in the Vision store at vision.org.au. Two books that Mark has written. One, Marked by Mercy. His latest book is called Renovation. I'm pretty sure you'll be needing to pre-order Renovation. It is brand new, but you can order it in the store. Uh, a note from the Vision store that uh, if you are ordering that book today, um, it uh, there is a, uh, a code word you can use when you order online called... Uh, needs to be marked M-A-R-K-E-D so M-A-R-K-E-D and uh, there's a $5 off uh, discount on that book when you go to vision.org.au Mark, no doubt there'll be another opportunity to talk through some other issues Uh, we only did get to just scratch the surface today but I want to say thank you so much for taking some time to share your heartbeat with us on 2020 Thank you, Neil Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.